Welcome to the Code Life Podcast with me, Nathan Blackaby, and my great mate, Cole Beach. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. You all right? Yeah, good. Do you know, I'm going to start with a swig of tea. Yeah, I'll join you. <sighs> you don't need sugar in it, did you? Oh, you have sugar, don't you? I do you? like a little. Oh. I do like a little. I know it's bad. Mate, should we start again? No, it's all right. I can't suck it up. You sure? Yeah, it's fine. That's discipline, there. The old slurp. It's a British slurp, isn't it? Oh, thousands of listeners. Lowly. Hold on. <laughs> We're having Here a we cup of tea. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite a quite an even slurp you got there. Yeah. Mine's a bit shorter. Listen. Yeah, it goes up at the end, doesn't it? <laughs> it's an Australian one. Little pronunciation. <laughs> Quality recording gold. This is, yes. <clears throat> I, mate. I've been reading this book. Oh, and if you're joining us on the video, don't forget. If you're joining us on podcast, you can also be joining us on the video. I think it's more of a personal experience. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I just I, I act like it's not there. I don't look at it mm. because I, you know, it's that sense of. You're looking in on something, like... Looking in. Rather than I'm engaging with you. <laughs> yeah. What's better? I think it's that whole... <clears throat> a window in. Type a window thing. in. That's it, mate, yeah. Anyway, I've got a lot of content here. Uh, I've been reading this book by Paul Kenyon, Dictatorland. Yeah. Very interesting. <laughs> the Men Who Stole Africa. Yeah, right. Mate, I, I've been quite... It, at times, quite upset reading this. History is is in parts quite brutal. How the West and other countries have have taken hold of large parts of Africa for their own wealth yep. and gain. Yeah, it's quite a um, well, it's quite a, quite a difficult read actually in places. But I wanted to read to you uh, about a guy called Matubu. But before I do that. I wanted to ask a question. Yeah. What do you think transforms the heart of a bloke from freedom fighter or a bloke with decent standards, morals, a vision, a strategy, a plan, a heart, to a tyrant, a dictator, an animal? So... Uh, I mean, it can be more than one thing, obviously. Well... I think, uh, from what I've read, uh, men, the heart of a man could be desensitised mm. and uh, that whole law of diminishing returns. Mm. And uh, But the desensitisation of a man, I mean, there's mm. many stories, isn't there, of men who, in combat, get used to blood and guts. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I mean, you read all these accounts of the world where it just became normal to crawl through bust-up yeah. dead bodies yeah, and yeah. you get desensitised. And I yeah. think... Also, so I think there's that, you know, a man's heart can be turned to evil mm. or be sens- desensitized to cruelty. Mm. But greed is a powerful, greed and power. Power is a corrupting thing. Yep, yep. The, That's what we have in this case with Matuba. It's, it's power, I think, as soon as a man, if yep. there's a chink in your arm and you get power and you don't have good people around mm. you. Distorts uh, the heart, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I started to look at examples 
No, I'm not. I'm not here saying that Hitler was a freedom fighter turned dictator. But in the case of Hitler, so late 19th century, I was reading this. Germany were argued to have the best educational system in the world, and we've seen these tyrants pop up: Europe, Asia, South America. One article I was reading talked about Germany having the best schools and universities. Carl Benz had just invented the gasoline engine. Rudolf Diesel invented the compression ignition engine. Yeah. Heinrich Hertz, he was working with electric magnetic waves. Wilhelm Conrad Röntgen, the guy who developed X-rays, he was looking mm. at the theory of chemical structure. Mm. And, of course, Albert Einstein. So at the end of the 19th century, it was rife with thinkers, academics, yeah. scholarly people. And then, obviously, we had the World Wars. And, yeah. and Hitler emerging from that, mm. leading a nation to do such terrible things that we saw the Nazi Germans do. Mm. And and I think this article was saying that a lot of factors came into place. Depression, bad policies, bad political structure, yeah. economical downturn. A lot of these factors put a death grip on their heart and on their vision, on their strategy, on their minds, and they turned to extreme hate. Yeah, and, and Hitler obviously was leading that movement. So I was looking at this book thinking, what an interesting read to see what are some of the factors that turn the heart of men from freedom fighters and particularly in Africa and all these countries in Africa to be dictators and tyrants in their own countries so let me read you a bit of this this is coming from the book Dictator Land Mm. I'm going to read this to you at his hilltop palace overlooking Kinshasa President Mobutu Mobutu Sesi Seko was preparing for a very satisfying night in the events promoter Don King had been trawling the world for any government or company willing to stump up the 10 million prize money and host the event. And he hadn't been choosy about their credentials. In Matubu, he had found a headline grabber who was bound to attract a, cu- a cu- curious TV audience worldwide, a maverick African chief who was rumoured to torture his opponents and who dressed more wildly than James Brown himself. Mm. But Mobutu would watch the event he was paying for from the comfort of his own sofa. He didn't want to be upstaged by Muhammad Ali. And anyway, there was something nonchalantly powerful about staying away from his own party. Not to mention avoiding some lunatic rebel who might be armed with a grievance and a gun. It wasn't worth the risk. He had already milked several photo opportunities. The PR job was done and the international chorus of endorsement had been so loud, so emphatic, that the spotlight, uh, sorry, that the spoil sport rights groups were mere mosquitoes in Kinshasa's humid night air. Their wine drowned out by 70,000 cheering fans. So this is a moment, as we'll know, Ali and Foreman rumble in the jungle. Do you remember? The, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, before classic, our time. Classic fight. But a classic fight What's where the- Ali fought, you didn't. No, not through a light on YouTube or something. I was going to say. Yeah, you were yeah. like, you what were year, three what then. What year was it? 74. Oh, nearly three, yeah. Hmm. So, Kinshasa, I mean, uh, this is the place, the Congo. You weren't born, mate. No, mate, 79. Hmm. But Mobutu, he renamed uh, it to be Zaire, oh. and it was the Rumble in the Jungle. Muhammad Ali, George Foreman. Foreman was undefeated heavyweight champion. I've written some of this down. Uh, Ali was the challenger yeah, yeah. because Ali had been stripped of his title uh, for three years for not the Vietnam draft. Yeah, was it? yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, actually, in this fight, this is where he coined the rope a dope. 
Right, because he, he was, was yeah. pretending to be like yeah. done in and off on the ropes, and he was tiring. Yeah, Foreman yeah, 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 by absorbing yeah. his shots, letting yeah. him roll. Awesome fight. Yeah, Rumble in the Jungle. Uh, what do you think? What do you think of the whole rope a dope thing? As form? a technique. Yeah, and pretending you're tired and slamming someone. Well, yeah, I think it works. I think you see it in UFC all, all the time. Fair in love and more. Yeah, you see it in UFC all the time. <laughs> Blokes get hit and act like they're out. Like knocked out, going down, and the blokes come over to finish, and he'll just pop up. And well, it's a keep your guard at all times. All isn't it? times, all times. Do you remember that Floyd Mayweather fight where the bloke mm. goes to hug him, and he just smacks him out? Yeah, the ref had stopped it. Well, and then but he, he, said, he let him said, fight. fight yeah, yeah, yeah. Floyd hit him went, once, yeah, and then hit him again. Yeah, we went to hug him, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. But he said fight on, so he just knocked him out. Yeah, it's controversial. Controversial, it was dishonourable, but actually, it was all fair. Well, it was. That's boxing, anyway. huh? but that that was a big fight. And uh, Foreman recalls hitting Ali in round seven. So this went to round eight. Rumbling yep. jaw. He hit him so hard on the jaw, and most blokes who got hit by Foreman out cold. And uh, Ali took it, and and Foreman says Ali in the clinch whispered to him, "Is that we've got?" <laughs> <laughs> How cool is that? <laughs> Gave him his best shot on the Sorry, chin. Yeah. Is that what you've got? I like it when someone gets smacked in the head, and then they just look at him and smile. Yeah. What? My I my my dad said that to me once. He was uh, he uh, he was arrested an armed robbery in the process of doing an armed robbery. He whacked him over the head or whacked, whacked, just punched him or something or hit him with a with a truncheon. Yeah. The bloke just looked at him and went, "Is that it?" Like, <laughs> he said, "Help, help!" <laughs> it did the Smacked same thing to Foreman. Probably like a truncheon. Yeah, yeah. The bloke just stood there smiling with blood dripping out of his ears. Yeah, yeah. Is that all we got? Scary, isn't it? Yeah, very. Well, that's it. Rocked Foreman because he said that rocked me. When he said that, I was like, "I've just hit this bloke with my best shot." <laughs> Very interesting. And I wonder if inside the deep down he was hurting. But it's Maybe psychological warfare, isn't it? Because yeah. you'd feel all his strength come out of you, wouldn't yeah. you? At that moment, yeah, yeah, someone yeah. just smiling at you, going, "Is yeah. that it? Is that it? Yeah, powerful." But that was Rumble in the Jungle, and later on, a year later, we had Thriller in Manila. Uh, Joe Fraser, Ali won mm. big fight. Mm. But um, it was just very interesting to uh, have this massive event in the Congo, or Zaire, as uh, the president Mobutu had changed it to. Let me give you a little bit of background. So let me take you before uh, the rumble in the jungle and mm. to the upbringing of uh, the president Mo Mobutu. Yeah, yeah. In March 1960, a young African hurried along a breezy Brussels street, bundled up in a heavy overcoat against the end-of-winter chill. He was a slight, earnest man, disorientated by his new environment and one of just a handful of black Africans in Belgium. He also had every reason to feel conflicted. This was the home of his colonial masters, the Belgians, he so passionately wanted to drive mm. from his homeland. Mm. But it was also the home of everything he had been taught to respect and admire and as such it possessed an unshakable allure. Mm -hmm. Take it back a bit further, back to the book. Mobutu's mother had been the prettiest girl in the village by his own account, and the subject of much male attention. After giving birth to two children from her first relationship, she was passed on to a local chief and became pregnant with twins. The children died at birth, and Mobutu's mother was convinced she was being persecuted by witch doctors hired by another of the chief's wives. Mm -hmm. So she fled into the jungle and walked for days to the village of a relative where she met and married a local cook. He was to become... Mobutu's father. 
Now, the interesting turn here is that cook ended up being uh, the cook for a Belgian family mm. and took his son with him. Mobutu, as a child, walking hand in hand with a middle-aged white lady as if he were her own son. She is Belgian, a liberal-minded progressive, and the wife of a Belgian judge. Mobutu's father is their cook, and she has seen something in the small African boy, perhaps wit, curiosity, a young mind ready to open, and she tutors him in French and lets him sit at her table and he and walks with him through staring crowds. And she fills his mind with everything a young Belgium boy would have as his right. Quite interesting. You've got this young lad who's born into poverty. Mm. You know, mum didn't have anything, dad didn't have much at all. And yet this Belgian family take him on by a turn of events and he gets a, a European education. Mm. Really, really interesting. He learns French, he starts going to military academy. They're giving him a good start. Giving him a good start. Good start. Set him up. Mm. They've set him up. So he starts to build on that. Well, this is gonna, already my brain's going down a rabbit hole here because, you know, I told you last week I'm reading this uh, biography of an autobiography of a serial killer in the 1900s who mm. had a bad start and became a psycho. This yep. guy's got a good start. Yeah. It's a good start. Yeah. Eloquent, two languages, three languages. Yeah. Good schooling. Yeah. Nice house. Army, university, he had it all. Western lifestyle. Yeah. Good start. Let me set some more of the scene. Back to the book. An irresistible force was sweeping the whole continent of Congo as well. You know. What had been viewed as an extreme position at the start of the 20th century, supported by a handful of cranks and troublemakers, had grown into a popular mainstream movement after the Second World War. Colonialism could be extinguished. So you've got this feeling across the continent of Africa, but particularly in this sense, uh, Congo. Kick them out. Kick them out. Colonialism could be extinguished. Give us our country back. That's it. That's it. Yeah. And it would be extinguished. Nationalist movements had won the argument. Now it was just a matter of time. Yeah. The Europeans were poised to move out. Ghana had set the pace, winning independence from Britain in 1957. Yeah. And even de Gaulle, Charles de Gaulle, was preparing to get rid of his African assets, contemplating the unthinkable by withdrawing from Algeria. But Belgium was standing firm. Its leaders suggesting it would take another three decades before the Congo was ready for self-governance. Interesting. Some said even longer. But there started to be this movement. There started to be these whispers of freedom. A little groundswell. A groundswell. At this point, Mobutu is in Belgium getting trained up. He becomes a journalist. Right. So he starts to learn his skill, learns his art of speaking, communicating, but he's still got this burning passion for his homeland to, to no longer be under Belgian rule. So Belgian, Bel, Bel, Belgium's invested yeah. in him, educated him, yeah. but he's got a heart of... Congo. He Congolese. His, yeah, he can't get the, his roots. Yeah. And he's feeling this. He's feeling this conflict. He, he can take the boy out of Essex. He can't take Essex out of the boy. That's it, mate. There's no point trying, is there? No. Deep. <laughs> <laughs> but he's got this stirring in his heart. Yeah. And uh, there's this moving tide in the Congo. There's another guy I just want to mention, Patrice Lumumba. So another right. character in the, in the fold here. A 30-year-old intellectual in a frock coat and irre 
irreverent bow tie who captivated audience with his wild talk of independence and whose popular popularity was already alarming the Belgians. Mm. So this guy, another guy in Belgium, Le Mumba, in, in the Congo, he's now driving around the Congo on this little scooter telling people, let's fight for independence. We need, we need this. We need yeah, our yeah, country yeah, back. Yeah. And he's friends with Mobutu, right. who's in Belgium, who's getting this kind of passion. Uh, the Belgians, interestingly, had owned the Congo for 80 years right. and they weren't looking to get rid of it quickly yeah. as you know diamonds minerals I mean you, immense yeah these countries oh. are resource rich I immense yeah so this bloke Lumumba let me give you an example he denounced the white colonialists and described in detail how the Belgians had treated the blacks how they had brutalised them and kept them down he talked about the millions who had died under their regime of King Leopold, right. working in rubber, uh, working in what? Rubber plantations, where they were starved or were overcome with exhaustion and disease. He talked about the brutal murders of those too weak to deliver the quantities of rubber that the Belgians demanded. Lumumba made independence a most cherished hope. So he's setting in motion, setting this theme, this. Yeah. This swell of movement in the Congo, right? And then this guy, Mobutu, he kind of falls into this. There's some stuff that happens. The whole country's going through a new shift. And uh, three men gradually emerge as dominant leaders. So they've got no governance. They've got no council. They've got no leadership. You know, outside of Belgium officials, they, they don't really know what they're doing. But the Belgian officials, this is back to the book, announced that there would be a series of roundtable discussions with a, dele with a delegation from the Congo. Independence would be discussed, although only in the most general terms, and there was no intention of coming to a date. And that was out of the question. This was more about showing willing. Now, this meeting happened in Brussels, January 1960. Right. Now, Mobutu went along as a journalist, and he started to rub shoulders. He was getting influential. He was starting to build his yeah. name up. Yeah. He was friends with Lumumba in Congo. So, you know, they're communicating. It was all happening. And gradually, there was a break in a way of, of Belgian authority in the Congo. And elections were held. There was kind of this radical shift. There was this moment of, hang on a minute, they've talked about independence, now they're letting us have it. And there was some breaking up. There was a, a bit that was um, separate that the Belgians held on to. But there was this moment of, independence has come. Like, this is it. Now what? Mm. And it was like a, an opening and then this power surge. Yep. Who's going to lead? Yep. What the new party's going to look yep. like? Who's going to fill these gaps? Sorry, not the microphone. Back to the book. So we're in May 1960, and the mood was euphoric. So it's really pumping. Polling stations are open. Like, let's, let's find this new shape for the Congo. Elections are being held in preparation for independence. The country has only had three months to prepare for this momentous event. Mm. There's no one with any experience of government. There are no structures in place, no, his, no history of political dialogue. I mean, it's all brand new. After years of pushing for self-rule, change is thundering down the track too quickly. Mobutu is supporting Lumumba, his friend, and this new movement, the MNC, Movement National Congolese. Unlike the dozen or so new parties that have been hurriedly thrown together, the MNC has been at the heart of the protest for the past 18 months and it isn't based on a single ethnic group. Instead, MSC wants to end 
the regional separatism and he's calling for a tribal communities to put aside their differences and help create a strong unified mm. Congo. So you've got this movement and these three guys kind of emerge. There's the president, there's the prime minister, uh, and then there was another dude and Mobutu. So these kind of three key guys and Mobutu was always in the background and his friend Lumumba was the prime minister. So you've got these three dudes in power. But interestingly, what happens is, is Mobutu gets the power of the army. So they say to him, look, communicate with the army. You be, what's the word I had for him? The chief of staff? Yeah, chief of staff. So they create this role for him and say, you, you're going to oversee the, the military. So he starts driving around because there's uprising. Six days after independence is announced, the military, you know, mainly Congolese army, but led by white Belgium military leaders the military leaders are still trying to say look this independence don't mean anything but the soldiers are like you're wrong this means everything like you're out so suddenly you've got these white belgium military guys that are seriously outnumbered you've got all their families that have lived this high life of wealth and luxury in the congo you've got the the mines that were run by the west that suddenly are losing control and all their families have moved into the yeah. area. and yeah. So you've got this massive uprising. So you've got a lot of violence, a lot of rape going oh, on. The Congo descended into hell. Oh, mate. Yeah, well known. Brutal. Yeah. yeah, brutal. Brutal. And Mobutu, as chief of staff, head of the army, he runs round to all these brigades or factions of the army and he's like, don't surrender your firearms, fight the Belgians, join me. Yeah. And he rallies these troops. But yeah. what the president don't realise, what the prime minister don't realise is, he's winning the loyalty of the, the guys that can make stuff happen on the ground. So Mobutu, in a sense, is taking over. There's a coup, a silent coup. Yeah. He doesn't realise it at the start. Yeah. It, it dawns on him later on. Yeah. But he's starting to amass this power and influence. It's incredible because he's going around just getting all the army to back him. So he's visiting all these remote troops and he's got this gradual rise to power. Uh, it's just incredible how it happens for him. And this is like 12 days after independence, you get all yeah. this kicking off. Um, I'll just read you this bit. Back to the book. Just 12 days after independence, Lumumba, the idealist from Stanleyville, the man who, who coaxed the timid masses into roaring stadiums, is watching his country disintegrate. Belgian troops are occupying his cities, and Belgian businessmen are looting his precious natural resources. In desperation, he decides on one final throw of the dice. It is a decision that will come to define the rest of his short life. Lumumba, along with Joseph Kavas Vubu, who was the president, asked the Soviet Union for help, and the Americans in Leopardsville Embassy are left blinking in disbelief. So what I started to realise reading this, you've got these massive power struggles. You've got the West, you've got America looking and saying, yeah. we need to control this. You've got the Soviet Union saying, we need to control this. And you've got this dismay and total chaos in the Congo itself. And you've got these guys in leadership and power that were, were at best sort of radicals and, and just guys who were riding around the country promoting independence and suddenly are leading the country. So you've got this massive shift in, in the culture. So you've got Mobutu's rise to power. And, and interestingly, what happens is, is basically the American back, the Americans back... Mobutu, They're, they want him to be the man. They want to control him. They can see in him that he's got the authority of the country, he's got the power, he's got the army, and this will happen. And uh, basically, what, what happens is President Kazaf Vubu, 
he's left in power but with no authority. So the government's stripped. Mobutu is kind of silently rising up to power and they can't really stop him. Uh, And Mobutu has tasted victory, power, fame, recognition and he's unwilling to lose it. He suddenly realises that as this transition... Do you think he plotted it from the world dope or it just happened? Well, the book kind of implies that he he was doing what he was told, as in go to the military and win them over, but then I think suddenly... He spotted an opportunity. He spotted an opportunity and thought, you know what, this power's mine. Mm. I can wield this power. Mm. And he, his seductive fame went up. Power, seductive Sit, mate. Sit. Mm. His fame went up, his status went up, and the people of Congo, you know, the the people that made stuff happen, the military and and, and the workers, yeah. they loved him. Yeah. They thought, this is our saviour, this is our man. And he was kicking out the white colonialist Belgians. Mm. So you've got, this, you've got this sort of battle going on where these superpowers are wrestling to control Congo. Uh, for the superpowers, just back to the book, Congo represented the most glittering of Africa's jewels. Not only did it possess near unparalleled mineral wealth, it shared borders with nine other African nations. Plant your stake in its turf, and there was the possibility of spreading out across the whole region. The Congo was a strategic prize without equal. For Russia, it would be the first foothold in African soil, a prospect that was scaring the living daylights out of the cold warriors in Washington. So you've got this like geographical war going on. Mm-hmm. And there's a book that I'm going to bring in later podcast of how so many countries are landlocked geographically and that really shapes their strength as a country, economically, yeah. uh, militarily, you know, all this stuff. But... It was this like prize. Let's get it. Let's own it, and let's control it. And the Americans had worked out: let's control Mobutu, and then we can control the country. Yeah. We can we can do what we want, uh, which is kind of what they did in the in, in the history of this stuff. And it's actually quite sad just to see it all unfold. To see this bloke get manipulated and actually put his right and his benefit above above a country like it's phenomenal. So he rises to power. And, and basically anyone who challenges him, he has them killed. So he sets up this public hanging. And wow. uh, yeah, he, he, he basically just took over completely. And anyone that challenged his theories, his ideas, he, would have, him. he would have you killed, you have you hung, yeah. And he even tasked his military, the Congolese army, to subversively infiltrate these groups. So he caught four of his own politicians by scheming against himself, but he'd planted the guys there to, to tease it out of them. Wow. So this guy was an animal, and he was friends with um, Mao in China and also Ceausescu in Romania at right. the time. And he was massively sort of indoctrinated. So by that's a Marxist idea. Yeah, yeah. And he was coming up with this Mobutuism, like he called it his ideology. Uh, ideology. It was what he wanted to to do. And, and Zaire was renamed, uh, the Congo was renamed to Zaire. Um, and the name Zaire means the river that swallows all rivers. Like he, he had in his head, we are the supreme country. Like we will just dominate and take over. Uh, I think he had a god complex in reading this book. Right. I think he was massively. And I, I want to explore this in a minute. I just want to set the scene and then look at the life of Saul just quickly in the Bible. But um, god complex, it was all in his image. It was this coming from actually a deep sense of insecurity. And you, you see that in the book and some of his memoirs. Like, he had this real deep sense of insecurity. But he'd siphoned millions from the national budget. In 1970, they reckon it was about $60 million that he'd squandered. $60 million. Right. In today's currency, that's a quarter of a billion. Yeah. 
that he'd squandered out. Uh, lifestyle, his, yeah. his HQ, his extras, you know, his whole lavish life. It was all about um, him. All about him. Mate, food programs, humanitarian aid, anything that was given, because there was loads of malnutrition at the time in the Congo. Any it's a Western aid. Funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just he siphoned it With off. No, no moral social conscience. No, no. It's all about him. It was all about him, and he had like this leopard skin hat. I don't know if you remember seeing it. He had a leopard skin hat and would wear leopard skin jackets. He had twenty grand homes in Europe, like millionaire mansions. And in the end, shameful. It is. It really is. And in the end, right, Mobutu. You, you couldn't you couldn't make it up. Ceausescu gets rumbled, doesn't he, in Romania? Yeah. They turn him and his missus over and take yep. him to the firing squad. Similar, again, a brutal dictator. He's friends with Ceausescu, and he realises that he says, hang on a minute, that could happen to me. Yeah. If I lose the love of the people, and he starts to lose the love of the people. And uh, within a few months, he's exiled. He goes to Morocco. He spends four months in Morocco on the run in exile, and he dies. Wow. And it's like he, he rose to power as this freedom fighter, educated in Belgium, like he had a great opportunity. It's a proverb, isn't it, mate? Above mate. all else, guard your heart. It's a wellspring of life. Hmm. Guard your heart. And you've got that little chink about power there. Yeah, yeah. Take you to hell. Yeah, well, it will. And a whole bunch of people with you. Yeah. And uh, it, just how subtle it was from starting off mm. with the right intentions, the right motivations. Yeah. He had a sniff of power. The ego. I was thinking about Saul. Mm. So just Mobutu, you know, that's president of Congo. King gone. Saul. King Saul. The Bible says, right, 1 Samuel fifteen twenty-two, uh, Saul, because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. That's scary, isn't it? That's a stat. I mean, that is a line right there, isn't it? Yeah. You've rejected the word of the Lord. And the Lord's rejecting you as king. I mean, thank God for Christ. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like without the cross, we are stuffed, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was it was interesting how subtle the changes were for Saul. Because Saul, if I'm right in saying this, he, he went to um, like a, a, a divination, didn't he? Clairvoyance type. Yeah. Because he didn't seek the Lord. He sought yeah. what he was prohibited to do. Yeah. And as a king, he came Brought under God's Samuel. judgment. Yeah. Yeah. And interestingly, I had a little look at some of the repercussions of that action. Well, yeah. Because, uh, and you're right, we live under grace, right? We <laughs> praise well, we, the Lord you for know, that. Thank God for the cross and resurrection. Yeah. Or we'd, you know, we'd be living in the same deep Mate. water, wouldn't we? But, and he, he found himself in deep water. God took his kingship away. Mm. Uh, God's spirit departed from Saul, mm. 1 Samuel 16. And an evil spirit from God terrified him. Mm. How do we interpret that? An evil spirit from God. Well, I think in the Old him. Testament, like, uh, there's a more robust view of God's sovereignty. So, like, every you'll notice when you read the Old Testament, everything is attributed to God. Yeah. It, uh, everything. Yeah. Uh, but the Lord permits it to happen, or the Lord sends. Like, they had more of a robust view that okay. everything is under him. But did God, did God instruct it? Maybe. You know, does God test us? Yes. Yeah. But I think, yeah. I think what this, in this case, it's like uh, Saul rebels, the hand of the Lord's come off him, it's mm. open season. But yeah. they would attribute it to the Lord because the Lord ultimately he controls everything. everything. Everything under the sun uh, or everything in the universe happens. So whilst not, maybe in, whilst not directly sending it, he gave permission because he took yeah, the spirit off so. him. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
So that's, if you're interested and want to read that, 1 Samuel 16, 14, Now the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul, and an evil spirit sent from the Lord began to torment him. It's like, you know, uh, Samson in Judges 16, and the Spirit yeah. of the Lord left him, but he didn't even know. Yeah. But then it was when the Spirit of the Lord, the anointing came off uh, Samson, it was open season, he got killed. Yeah. Yeah. Ephesians 4, 20, isn't it? Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah. That's it, mate. Sensitive. Like, don't do it. Yeah, don't yeah. do that. Don't yeah. don't grieve the spirit, man. Mm. You, you know you're gonna. Does God's hand come off mm. us? You know, post resurrection, guys. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think don't. you can. I felt it. If I'm walking away from the Lord in yeah. sinful behaviour, I do yeah, feel it. Yeah. So Saul, he fell further into sin uh, by repeatedly trying to murder David. And this is what I was saying right at the start, and you asked me the question. I think mm. there's two things at play. There's the the, the power trap mm. but then there's this uh, desensitization I you know the, the, the to the spirit you, well I think what happens is you know we often talked about this before together and, yeah. uh, and at men's days yeah. that you Matthew 7 calls us to go through a narrow gate and yeah. walk on a narrow path yeah but what us blokes try to do is tread down the edges and you blur the lines yeah you, know, you press the edges down so the edges blur with the path and you go one degree off course and then you sort of get away with that and then you sort of keep going and going and going one degree off course but over a thousand miles one degree could be yeah. many many miles of course yeah, you look yeah. when you can't even see the path anymore yeah. so I don't think like Mobutu started off by just being a total evil no. genius I no. think he desensitised himself over time just degrees to the side degrees to the side tread down the edge of the path like a bloke uh, very rarely would a bloke just go and like, bed his neighbour yeah, from affair. nothing cold. Just no, it starts in the small stuff. It starts with one watching her in the bed. garden. And yeah, it's David like on that. the balcony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's your balcony? Yeah. What's your balcony, oh, yeah, man? That's good. David's looking at Bathsheba from the balcony. He probably was up there alone looking at her, like, checking oh, her it's out. It's like the, the lines are getting blurred, and he's giving over to lust in his heart. We've all got our balconies, right? Yeah, we've got the places where we shouldn't be walking and looking. But if you don't deal with it, you'll open the doorway. Like sin mm. will take you to places you don't want to go so how do we how do we keep that narrow path and we talk about it as in discipline we did that in the last podcast didn't yeah. we? Uh, brotherhood accountability thing think, is mate go on and we know this if you want to deceive if you want to do your own thing you want to go your own way you can do it you can have all the appearance of godliness yeah it's a choice you have to choose you have to choose to be that man and ask for God's strength because you can't do it yeah. on your own. We know that, yeah, but you yeah. can make a choice. And there, there is a subtlety, isn't there, with keeping your heart soft with the Holy Spirit? I think. Yeah. In and terms of doing things and being so in tune I with the Holy Spirit. I wonder too, mate. There's something about. I mean, my mind's going down another rabbit hole yeah. here, but I wonder about. There's something about simplicity. There's something about not having the latest stuff. There's something about decluttering your life. There's something about patience and waiting and yeah. Yeah. having the latest gadgets it's not fueling that lust side it's not just sexual lust is it it's no stuff, stuff and possessions yeah, stuff, and yeah. position and power and like and if, if like comparison's your thing and you want power well say good things about people that are better than you publicly. so go the opposite do the opposite you know if you're comparing yourself to somebody you think they're better speaking to me well then vocalise it say that person's amazing 
If you're jealous of someone, big them up. Honour them above yeah, yourself. Yeah, yeah. Romans 12, isn't it? Honour people above yourself. It's good, mate. We talk opposite, about this all the time, opposite, don't we? Opposite spirit all the time. Like, re- like if you're seeking recognition, do stuff that won't get you recognised. Yeah, do, do stuff the in the spirit. hidden areas. Do stuff that no one sees. The Lord sees it. Yeah, yeah. Who gives, I mean, That's amazing, that, isn't it? But who gives a stuff about uh, who you are? No one. It doesn't matter. No one. Who are you going to die? What matters is what the Lord thinks of you. Yeah, yeah. And the people closest to you, you're a loving, kind man. Do you know what I mean? I mean, like, mm. fame and possessions so shallow. We want is significance. The significant life for God. And uh, don't worry about the fame and yeah, power yeah. and money. and Simple life. Make, d- use what God's placed in your hands. And if you feel like things are getting to you, mm. ditch it. I mean, I remember it was Tony Blair actually hmm. uh, saying that after a few years in office, you realise you're starting to go mad. Hmm. It's a form of madness because you you don't need to write a check, you don't need to make a phone call. You know, everything's done for you, and yeah, suddenly yeah. you're out of office. And it's like, uh, yeah. But he said you have to make sure you do normal things, be an ordinary person. Whether he did or not is another question. Yeah, but yeah. it's an interesting observation that power corrupts mm. and sends people mad. So mm. I think simple life simple lifestyle do humble things practice hospitality yeah was it romans 12 associate with people in low position yeah, you know, associate yeah, yeah. with Essex people that would keep you humble oh, i'll keep it? you really humble oh, very humble <laughs> but that's it, isn't it yeah that's it mate keep your heart right yeah man but and and i think you also need mates around you that can see that and see if you're being an idiot mm. and see if you need like I, I think there's loads of blokes out there holding on to unforgiveness, bitterness, yeah. anger, and you need a mate or someone who can just say, "Look, let's deal with that." Yeah, let's get your heart soft again. Let's and get you right. know, I read it last week that Acts twenty verse suddenly becomes relevant again. Yeah, we read. I know yeah. I read it last week, but you can't have too much of a no, good thing. No, let's can go you? again. I, mean, uh, I think the NIV, you know, does say it slightly differently. You got your NIV there, have you? No, mate. I, I try not to take it out in public. No. Uh, I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I receive from the Lord to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God yeah your your life's for Christ you know there's a deep echo as I chuck my phone on top of the Bible there but I do um, I do think there's something I feel God speaking to me about Mm. simplicity do you yeah and uh, you know doing humble things practically and uh, living with the opposite spirit more and more. I know it's a bit of a motif for my life. I keep talking about it, but I do think there's something in that. Um, don't let don't let things get to you. Mm. Don't uh, boost your ego. Mm. Not there's much out there to boost your ego, really. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. But we are we are wired in a particular way. Like my, my daughter, she's got this app called TikTok. So I went on it to have a look. I've still got it on my phone. And the main things that people are putting forward. It's I've like heard a of this. little yeah. video you put yourself yeah. here. You can mime and dub stuff. And the main things they're selling are their bodies. So fitness, muscles or women looking good. Money. And it's guys counting out money. It's cars. It's possessions. Yeah. And it's status and fame and glamour. It, is, it's, it just seems to be all geared around Daft, that. Daft, isn't it? It's just full of emptiness, mate. But our kids are absorbing this stuff like sponges as their compass for yeah. society and humanity and yeah. what's valued. 
I need to look like this. I need to be like this. Yeah. So we've got to fight mate. against it, but I think and we I, model it. And we're, we're in a narcissistic it. age. Oh, the mate, age of the bad, selfie. Bad. You know, it's all about me. It's, got, it's shocking, mate. It, honestly, it's, it frightens me. Yeah. Entitlement. People have an over-sense uh, of their own uniqueness. and It's my right yeah, to and have the, this. The Bible says, live for Christ, live for Christ, pull your life out. You know. That's why tonight, mm. my friend, mm. my great friend. Come on. I will cook you a spaghetti bolognese. You gentlemen. I will and I'll serve you. <laughs> and I'll open the wine. Come on. We'll drink from the vine. Deeply. And we'll eat Italian. Well, you're, you, you won't be. Cause no, you're I've got to drive home. Yeah. I might have a little snifter. A little snifter. Yeah. So. Should we go and take a selfie? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll post it on Twitter early <laughs> for the purposes of PR. Yeah. But yeah, but there is, you know, guard, yeah. guard your heart. It's a wellspring life, probably one of the most important character verses in the Bible. Yeah. And in Proverbs. you don't need to be in a drought with this stuff either. I just want to say, like, we've got a ton of, like, the manuals that yeah. we produce are, are specifically oh, for yeah, this, like, aren't they? Like, yeah, months and months and months worth of daily devotionals. Yeah, you've got to dry out. No, prayers written in them. It's all there. The Code Life stuff, the yeah. Code website, codelife.org.uk. Yeah, and uh, men's groups around the country, we can yeah. plug in like nearly four hundred men's groups yeah, in the mill. Loads. And we go just on a, go on the website and yeah, search yeah. out where your nearest one is and plug into and it. A group you know? finder, yeah. Yeah, loads of resources to fuel accountability groups and all kinds of stuff. We yeah. do not need to to suffer this. No. You know, there's a whole bunch of us out there just like, like chomping away trying to get yeah. trying to produce resources. The other thing, of course, is um, there's nothing like I think. I mean, one of the unique experiences of my life, I think, is standing with thousands of men oh, worshiping the Lord and realise you ain't on your own. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we're doing these events all over the country, me and yeah. so watch out for them on the website. But I think the gathering, the gathering for me is significant. Yeah. How did that come about? Why? What was the thinking behind Got it? Bored. Is that what it was? Yeah. Bored. Bored of going to conferences that I was speaking at. Conferences are boring. I bored myself. I bored myself. Yeah. I was going to conferences and I was bored. So I thought. Yeah. In a fit of peak, I'm going to create a conference that actually I want to go to. A festival. Something you want to be at. Blow things up, chuck axes, talk about Jesus, burn stuff. And people say, what about all those blokes who don't like burning stuff and chucking axes? And Go to a conference. I'll go, go to church. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm You've saying that. It's something for everyone everywhere. But we do play chess now, walking football. We do. Yeah. Read books. Yeah. So we've got a mess tent for a thousand, six a thousand blokes. So it'll be two and a half thousand men. Amazing. In the end of June, you go to the gatheringformen.com and blow your mind. It's, it's Blows very, my mind. It does. It's a very unique event. Yeah. Uh, hundreds, People hundreds of men have come, come to Christ uh, now and he yeah, has yeah. been doing it. In the first year we did it, it didn't go very well, really. No. But no, it's great now. Slick. Slick it as mustard. Slick. And it's worth saying, we're not blokes who particularly love camping. No, I hate camping. I, to be honest, rather a nice know, hotel. I don't mind it, like if I'm on a fishing trip or something. But yeah, uh, I'd rather not. I'd rather go back to a lovely hotel, marble yeah. bathroom, lovely yeah. bar, nice restaurant, little That's bit it. of fillet steak, yeah, lovely triple cooked chips. But I, I slam it. I sleep in an awning. Yeah, you did for many years. I did actually last year. I was in a teepee. Yeah, but it was very cold. Was it cold? It was cavernous. So obviously you just like, you Couldn't don't warm up. up. You Couldn't can't eat up. up. Your body yeah. weren't working. Right. But yeah, we do camp. 
We and we've got some interesting plans for this year, haven't we? We have, mate. Some themes and some special things. Very special things. We d- we have a lot of fun, don't we? Yeah, we yeah. We were thinking about it earlier today, weren't we? Yeah, we have got a very special thing. A little bit of scheming and planning. Yeah, I, I wish we could say more about it, but uh, okay, well, but it's a mo- It's more than just an event because we see blokes at events that we run. And they turn up in a t-shirt. They turn up in a t-shirt and they bantering about fruit. I know. So and I love that when I turn up to the, you know quite a lot when I preach around the country. Yeah. This year I've turned up. And there's been like pineapples put on the pulpit. <laughs> yeah. This happens to me several times, or a bunch of grapes or something. But it's we're not anti fruit, are we really? It's all a joke. I it's love joke. fruit. Yeah, it's a joke. I imagine there's people who write a blog about oh, it. Oh, they hate it. They get yeah. so cross. Yeah, but I don't realise that like, you're going to go in the bit for the staff, there's fruit everywhere. We're eating fruit, it's we love it. It's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Chill out. <laughs> Honestly. Someone wrote this massive it, blog about me once. Really? Yeah, all about me fruit laws and banning dancing. I'm like, it's a joke. What no, the dancing and the flag. That was a joke. No. No, a, I hate flags. Streamers. I've seen some. I don't before. like streamers of expressive dancing. No, I've got to be honest. Streamers, you know, you see going to church and someone's prancing around with a streamer. Yeah, I can't cope with it. No, well, that's my example. I was going to give you. I mm. went to Spring Harvest one year. Yeah, and there was a bloke with a streamer, mm. and he was obviously agitating the people next to him. Oh. Wasn't he? And I don't know how he managed it, but he turned it twice and put his hand up, <laughs> and he created like a slip knot, and it went over his neck. <laughs> <laughs> and as he straightened ah, his hand up, it tightened up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a funny Someone, moment. I did a talk on this and uh, one well-known conference. Right. And someone took me aside after and said, they said, brother, put it in my shoulder. He said, look, I feel like this compassion for you. I went, do you? Went, yeah, he said, I just think you're very bound up. You're not free in Christ. And, <laughs> you know, if, if it, yeah. you know, I want to pray with you that the Lord liberates you. And I, no, so I said, no, I don't want you to. <laughs> I, mean, what? Don't I, went, touch I, I said, no, I said, I don't want you to pay for me like that. I said, why not? I went, because I like my shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah. But actually, you know, I didn't, I was joking around, but yeah. they're sort of. Yeah. But my my heart is all those blokes who don't know Jesus. That's why come doing into it. A, yeah. They come into a church and they see someone strangling themselves with a streamer, badly dancing. Yeah. Yeah. And a, the average bloke is like, what are you doing? What are you, why is that going to come back? Is he unwell? Yeah. <laughs> That's what my mates would think, without a oh, doubt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wouldn't come back. 100%. Wouldn't come back. 100%. So we created this event. That, uh, we have flagging forces, yeah. special ops, yeah. riot squad. The blokes love it. Take them down. But we do, on a serious note, we do talk and work with a local church. Cause we so we love it. Well, I'm a local church here. I'm a pastor yeah. of a church. Yeah. So... Anything I say yeah. is you need to screen through the spectacles of I do lead a church. Is he doing it? I planted yeah, churches, I lead churches, yeah, and yeah. Uh, I lead Redeemer King in Chesterfield. Yeah, but it works because we realise what turns guys on or off to faith, don't we? Exactly right. And, yeah. and, uh, well, and particularly is, working guys. Yeah, exactly. You know, me, working exactly. guys are way out. So missing millions in the UK church. Yeah, so yeah. Um, anyway, it's just our theory. We're getting on with what we do. That's what we do. I think you know people moan about that, which they, you know, not many do, but from time to time, I just think go and do your thing. Yeah. No, we need the in the rich tapestry of the Christian world. We need the streamers and we need the non-streamers. I like that, mate. The rich tapestry. There you go. Poetic. It's me. I'm channeling me in the Kipling. You are a creative bloke, actually. Yeah, I am as well. But yeah, we are quite creative. We are. Don't people don't know. We that. try not to let people know about me. Uh, yeah, I've yeah. got a little of a penchant for watercolour blossom trees. 
beautiful blossom trees you do. I love them, mate. Mm. Mm. Thanks for joining us.